Good to see you. I'm glad you're here. But get ready to be offended. I'll go ahead and tell you now that this might offend some of you. And I'll go ahead and give you an, an advance notice next week. If, if today's message offends you, next week will offend you more. So I'll just give you that up front because uh, we're going to tackle a couple of things this week and next week that are not necessarily uh, popular to talk about, especially in uh, the modern churches. We've been going through a series, No Bad Days, Attitude is a Choice. We're still doing that. We started with reshaping my mind. You were here for that, most of you. If you weren't, these are on the church Facebook page. We've also, uh, we've moved along. We've covered several subjects within that. And now today, resisting the distractions, developing my defense. No, I am not going to talk about football any more other than what I just said. That's not what this is about. But I will talk about some things that are uncomfortable. I'm going to show you an image here. Because we're not going to spend any time in Ephesians. We'll spend a little bit of time next week in it. But Ephesians 6.11, one of my favorite passages, and there's a backstory to why. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. But I want, I want to make sure you understand right up front, we... We can't cover how to have a good defense completely in one Sunday morning message. That's something we just can't cover completely. I would think that if we tried to cover it completely, it would take college-level courses four or five days a week for two semesters to even claim that we might have covered it sufficiently. So. So don't expect that you're going to have a great defense of the gospel today to walk out of here and be able to defend against whatever comes against you. But what we want to do is at least learn to resist the distractions and learn how to develop a defense. Now this image behind me might be disturbing to some because it is very trendy in this world in which we live, in this country, and even in our churches. We, it's very trendy to soften the gospel, to soften anything in the Bible, because we've painted this picture that Christians are supposed to be passive. It's almost like the hippie movement took over the church. We just have to passively do everything. Everything's got to be passive. So this might be offensive, this, this vision, this image that's painted in Scripture of a Christian who's supposed to put on armor, which would be defense. That would be a defensive thing to do, like putting a fence up. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the United States interstate system was designed and maintained today as part of our defense. Did you know that? It's pretty cool if you study that out to see why that's part of our defense. But one of the things I want to I want to try to hit right up front. There are some of us who are very good at putting up defenses against things we shouldn't. There are some that might even listen to this recorded message in the future that already have their defenses up 
because they're not really that open to the Bible or God's plan for them. There might be some that are in this room right now that are not real open to what we're going to reveal in Scripture because we've got these preconceived notions that may not necessarily be biblical, like Christians should be passive. This idea of a warrior soldier doesn't fit Christianity. Some of us think that way. So we, we put up our defenses. Maybe you've experienced this in your own daily walk where you've, you're dealing with a, a child, maybe an adult child, maybe a spouse, maybe a co-worker, or someone who has their defenses up and they don't need to. Have you met people like this where you're having a conversation with them and you're trying to get a little bit closer? How you doing? How's your, how's your week gone? And, and they just cut you off. They don't, want to, they don't want you in their private world because they've been hurt one too many times by letting others into their private world. So they're afraid of you, and you know, but they don't, that they don't need to be afraid of you. You don't need to be afraid of anything we discover in this book. There's, there's stuff in here that'll make us uncomfortable, and it might force us to rethink the way we're already thinking But there's no reason to have our defenses up against the Word of God. So I hope that you will stay open even to the concepts that might be uncomfortable to you today. Up behind me is a diagram now of a house. You see the, it's like a floor plan, but it's easier for you to understand. It's not all complicated. There is a vehicle parked in a carport you can see here. I wanted to show this to you so you can kind of get an idea of of how the enemy works. So notice the front door right in front of the car. It's an unusual design, but it works. That is an easy point of entry into the home. Notice the back door, another easy point of entry in the home. That would be a way you would go in and out. There's also another back door. You see that one? I've got little yellow lines that are identifying these. And then you also have other entry points around the house. Now, if there is someone who wants to come into your home to cause you some sort of harm, take some things or vandalize or whatever it is they're wishing to do, those would be the typical access points that they would try to enter. They're typically not going to try to come through a solid wall. Does that make sense? Yeah. And most of the time, you would you know, reasonably think. If you hear a noise, you want to look out the window to see what's going on. That's what you typically do. Some people are more strategic than that. They might walk out a back door and go around a corner and try to peep and catch somebody in the act. But these typical points of entry are, these are the places you would want to defend against someone trying to enter your home. Criminals think differently than we do. They try to be more strategic. People that have evil in their minds, they oftentimes uh, think of clever ways, other ways. And, and sometimes by default, we, we're not being evil or anything, we just come up with other ways ourselves. In Houston, Texas, several years ago, we had a situation. Our home was, and it's just Houston, our home had bars on all the windows that were locked. You could not get into the windows. If you broke the glass, you're still not getting in. All of the doors were steel doors and had deadbolts in them. And we left the house, Stephanie and I left with the kids, and 
we shut the garage door, and I don't remember what was wrong with the garage door, why it wouldn't open, but we left our keys in the house. And when the garage door closed and wouldn't open, we're locked out of a fortress. How are we going to get in here? All typical points of entry are now closed to us. We don't want to cause a lot of damage to the house. How do we get in? Well, I came up with this idea. There was a tree with a branch. I could get up on that, get my young son on there, and then I could get up on the roof. And, you know, they have those vents on, on the roofs. Not everybody has those. Some have ridge vents. But a lot of houses have vents on the roof. Some of them are flat vents. Some of them are turbines. But I had installed some of those, so I knew how, they, how easily they could come off. So I just got up there and took a plastic vent, popped it off. I knew I could replace it. But my son threw there, oh, by the way, there's also an alarm in the house as well. <laughs> and uh, put him down into the attic, told him how to get down with the, by pushing a ladder down and folding it down, get down, open the doors, let us in so we can undo the alarm. But after doing that, it made me very uncomfortable as I went to sleep that night, after I repaired it. It made me very uncomfortable because I thought, I thought our home was a fortress. I didn't think you could get in here very easily. But we got in there rather easily. And so the criminal mind thinks even way beyond that. One of the things a criminal might do is if they want to enter your home, they might actually do something to your car to make a noise so that you're paying attention to the entry points around the car. That's a distraction while they enter in another entry point somewhere else. This is the way criminals think. This is the way people with clever minds who are trying to get beyond your defenses, that's the way they think. So they distract us. I want you also to look at this next image. This is something that might bother you because, oh my goodness, the preacher is going to show boxing in church? Let me uh, give you a little bit of quick background. When I was a little boy, my parents told me the story. I don't really remember this part, but my, my name, you know, is Jeff, and Jeffrey means God's peace. The next born after me was my brother. Almost, I, almost exactly one year later, he was born, and they named him Mark. I don't think they thought about what our names meant, but the name Mark means God's wrath. And it played out just like that. My brother was going to be here until late last night. He was actually going to be here, and he was going to get to hear this, and he could tell you, yep, that's the way it was. But my brother and I would wrestle around like little boys. My parents tell me the story that finally one day, my brother was, we were wrestling around. My brother was much more aggressive. My brother wound up on top of me. And he was waylaying me, hitting me. And I was trying to defend myself, but he was landing a few punches in my face. And I was laughing for a while until I started crying. And my parents peeled me off and decided, we're not going to let Jeff grow up and not be able to defend himself. So they took both of us and put us in Irish McNeil's Sports for Boys. It's a boxing club. And... In this boxing club, <clears throat> they, you know, they separate you out by age and by weight, and they taught us boxing. I, I began to love boxing. And by the way, it sounds better. I'm going to tell you something that sounds really good. It sounds better than it is. Irish McNeil's Sports for Boys in Shreveport, Louisiana, 
eventually became the United States Olympic Boxing Training Center. Oh, okay, I'll tell you now. I, I did um, get trophies in boxing. I did do okay. I was never great at boxing. Um, but I was better than my brother, and I was bigger than my brother. And so the rule came, and I remember these, you cannot hit your brother. Because, Jeff, you're bigger, you're stronger, stop hitting your brother. I, I started liking hitting. So then I took it to school. I got in trouble there. Can't hit people at school. I, 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 had a, I, I got into it way too much, apparently. But boxing, why was, the reason why I wasn't great, and it's great that I didn't stay in it, is because, yeah, I got trophies. Yes, I could throw punches and I could do combinations, but I constantly dropped my guard. When you have, in boxing, one of the main things you have to know is keeping your guard up so that most punches are going to be blocked simply because your gloves are up there in front of your head. You drop your guard, you're going to get clocked. That's the way it works. Up behind me, what you see is a couple of boxers, and you see the one to your left is actually very, very strategically blocking a punch, and you can tell that the one on the right is going to get hurt because the one on the left used a very good, good defensive maneuver and is about to clock the one on the right. And why, how did this work? It worked. One of the reasons why it worked is because he had his guard up. He did it well. If this is a point in which it bothers you, because the preacher's gone on about boxing too long, move on with the message, please. If this bothers you, this is the, this is the area that will bother you more next week. Because we're just talking about defense right now. And we're not talking about it a whole lot. So we can go ahead and change the slide, get it off the boxing, but be prepared. Now, it was in 2009, at the end of 2009, and... Um, we had a tragedy happen in Lakewood, Washington. Some of you might remember in a coffee shop, um, a criminal went in and shot and killed four Lakewood officers, uh, one of which had uh, spent significant time in the church parking lot where I served for many years. Um, she was you know, stopping tra traffic that was speeding. But I, by a strange turn of events, I wound up getting to be in charge of the public entrance of the memorial for those Lakewood officers at the Tacoma Dome. I was allowed uh, in there. The, the media were not allowed to take cameras or video cameras in. They were fed from their own cameras on the inside, inside the Tacoma Dome. They were fed out to the media. Media were searched. They were not allowed to come in and bring their stuff. But for whatever reason, they let me in, in charge of the public entrance, with my old-fashioned flip phone that could take pictures. And because they told, I had the privilege of being in charge, they told me it was okay to have my phone out and to take pictures. So I took some. This is, this is not one of them. I was subsequently also asked, because just very shortly after that tragedy was another tragedy of Officer Kent Mundell was also killed in the line of duty. And because we just had this great big memorial, we had another one for Officer Kent Mundell at the Tacoma Dome. I was also in charge of the public entrance then. And this time I explored. I thought, I'm gonna, if they're going to let me take pictures, I'm going to, and since they're acting like I'm in, I get to act like I'm in charge of something, I'll, I'll walk outside. 
and I'll go with these, where these offices are, and I'm going to take a picture of the procession, I'm going to take a picture of other things I didn't really look at before. On the inside, I got to see the officers walking around in SWAT gear on top of the ductwork. Some of them were laying down. Some of them were looking through scopes. Now, that would make you uncomfortable if you saw that. That means they're pointing rifles at people. But here, you might not notice, I'm going to show you this arrow. Look at this arrow here. Snipers on the rooftop, they were everywhere. As you looked out and you could see the rooftops of the buildings, they had snipers on all of the buildings. Yes, you could see law enforcement presence all on the ground everywhere during the procession. Most people, the news didn't talk about it. Most people did not know they had snipers on the rooftops of all the high buildings around the Tacoma Dome. I felt a lot safer knowing that. This was a defensive maneuver in case anyone was going to try to attack any of these officers in this event, they were ready to defend. Keep those things in mind as we talk through some scripture today. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now hold on a minute. Be sober-minded, be watchful, essentially be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. I want you to think about that for a little bit. Do you know why lions roar when they're going after their prey? It is not to say, here I am, I'm coming to get you, be ready. That's not why they do that. There are two reasons, at least, why lions do this. One is because it causes us to be afraid. If you, if you were in the woods where lions were and you heard a lion do that, you would become afraid. So you would be intimidated by that. And that would cause you to possibly make mistakes that could lead to your peril. Because you're not thinking rationally. You're now in fear. You're going to do things based on emotion, and you could get yourself in trouble. This happens. Maybe you've seen this. I remember cutting a tree um, one time, and as I was sawing the tree, there was, a, there was a lot of distractions going on. We had some tree huggers on the other side of the fence. We were cutting the tree because it was tearing up the fence. It was a weed, is the way we saw it, and it grew up, and we let it get too big in a church property in Houston. And I had a chainsaw, and I was, that's dangerous. It was a chain-link fence. You've got to be very careful if there's a tree coming into a chain-link fence. And I was cutting it down. The, the, the tree huggers were all standing around right there, and that was a little bit of a distraction. And as the tree began to fall, the man that was with me realized he was in the direct path of the direction that the tree was falling. And I don't know if you've seen this before, but instead of running, it was a short, it was a small tree, but instead of just stepping out of the way since the tree's falling this way, the guy ran in the direct line the tree was falling. He's like trying to speed up and run and beat the timing of the tree falling on him. Like, just step that way or that way. You don't have to run in line with the tree. But he was afraid. And if a lion roars while you're in the woods where you know there's a lion... 
you become afraid and you might make a similar poor decision like running out in the open so the lion can get you. A lion, a second main reason a lion roars is for echolocation. Lions use that sound to identify where movement is, where things are. You have a similar ability, you just don't utilize it very much. Like sometimes you'll kind of get this feeling that somebody just walked in the room. You didn't notice any sound changing, but you got this feeling somebody walked in the room. Oftentimes that is an echolocation thing where the, just simply the, the sound in the room changed because a body entered and that changed the, the overall sound of the room, even though it sounds like silence to you. Lions roar to intimidate, get you to do something foolish, and to find out where you are. It's not to let you know where they are. It's to find out exactly where you are and where you're going. One of the best defensive maneuvers, when you, if you've ever played a sport like racquetball, anybody here ever play racquetball? Raise your hand. Yep, that identifies us by age. <laughs> racquetball is a fun sport. But the best racquetball players, if you ever watch it, a lot of times it's older people who are better in racquetball. And they don't even break a sweat. They seem to become masterful at hitting the ball where the other person can't get. And they don't run. They just kind of stand in the middle hitting the ball, making the other people run around. Because they anticipate what you're going to do when they hit it over there and then how fast can you get to that other place they're going to hit it next? That's the way it works. It's, it's very strategic. And it's the way the enemy operates against us. And we have to think about that. So we've got to be alert. And it continues in 1 Peter chapter 5 with verses 10 and 11. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Because God, he's got this. He can take care of this, whatever you're going through, no matter how difficult it may be. And by the way, suffering, if you let it, can increase your faith and strengthen you. I want to move into the main chunk that we need to talk about today, and that's in Matthew chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there if you want. As a precursor to this, Jesus was just baptized. Just to mention baptism, lightly here, there's only one person ever that has walked this planet that, in New Testament times that didn't need to be baptized, and he did it. I don't, I don't get all the arguments against it, but Jesus was baptized. And only two places in the Bible does it, does it record God saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. You know that had to feel good. My father is pleased with me. One of those times is his baptism. And then the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. That's a wonderful picture that we see in Matthew 3, we pick up in Matthew chapter 4. Right after his baptism, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Pay careful attention to that. It gives you a, 
a picture of what fasting is like, and especially for Jesus. If you don't eat or drink for 40 days, you're going to be, you're going to be thirsty. This says he's hungry. Fasting is not eating. He's still drinking water. It's okay. It's what you do when you fast. So he's hungry. He's been drinking water. He's, he's got that liquid nourishment in him, but he's hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Notice how he starts. If you are the Son of God. Catching Jesus in a time when he has been fasting for a long time, his father is proud of him, now he's been spiritually drawing nearer to the father with this fasting, yet he is physically weak. And he starts with, if you are the Son of God. Is he trying to cause some doubt? Jesus knows. What's he doing? He's the deceiver. This is what he does. And then he tempts him because he's physically weak. He's also hungry. He tempts him with bread. Do you think the Savior of the world, the future Savior of the world, do you think that the Creator of the universe could make some pretty good bread? Of course. He's done it before. Manna from heaven. God has done this. And you know He's looking at these, like I mentioned before when I alluded to this passage, He's looking at these stones and probably thinking, that looks like a loaf of bread right there. I, I could do that. And then... In verse 4, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 8.3, if you want to write that down. Jesus responded with simply a quote from the Bible. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if... You are the Son of God. Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And what, the, what the devil did is he quoted Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He only quoted parts of it. But this is, the, this is what the devil does, and he'll do it through people. There are times when you'll have a discussion with somebody and you'll quote a scripture and somebody will throw something back at you. Yeah, well, the Old Testament also says this. Are you going to do that? This is what the devil's doing. Well, the Bible says this. You can throw yourself down and you will be protected. <laughs> Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 6.16. Jesus is handling himself quite well. But don't in any way think that he's just simply going through a process. Jesus is actually tempted. And the one that probably is the most disturbing is this next one. It's like, how could he be tempted to do this? I mean, the other things make sense. He could, he could throw himself down and then stand up and say, see? I'm okay. I'm God in the flesh. He could turn the stones into bread and eat it right in front of the devil. I can do this. I am God in the flesh. Don't say, don't say if you are the Son of God again. Don't say that. I just proved to you. 
He was tempted to put the devil in his place by proving that he's capable of doing these miracles. But look at the next couple of verses, verses 8 and 9. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. How could Jesus be tempted when and the devil is making some sort of claim that he can give all of this, all these, all these towns you could see at the top of this mountain peak, all these people moving around, all the buildings that represent the people that are in them. How could he say he could give this to anybody? I want to talk about that very briefly, and we'll get back to the text. But I want to say up front something very clear so you're not confused. God is sovereign. That means he can do what he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. That is God. Don't be confused. It sometimes gets confusing because the mind of God is so beyond ours. But God is sovereign. He can do what he wants, whenever he wants. The difficulty comes when we start to understand that he's given us free will. Well, that's divided a lot of churches. God can do what he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, but he allows us to make our own choices. He doesn't force us to do his will. You understand this, right? Okay. So, I want to give you this. Twyla Paris wrote a song and sang it, and it became the number one adult contemporary Christian song in, on February 21st, 1994, and the title of it is God is in Control. Many of you know this song. It's a very catchy song. And I love Twyla Paris's voice. I always have ever since she came out. And she, she's been singing a long time. She became popular in the 80s. But God is in Control became a very, very popular song. And, and much like pop culture, popular Christian songs oftentimes influence Christian doctrine. And it became a thing in all the churches, and a lot of people say it. In fact, many of us are guilty of when difficult times come, we tell somebody, well, God is in control. Be careful getting your doctrine from pop culture within the church. It needs to come from the Bible. I want to show you something. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. And this is in the NIV version. Most of you have that. It says, We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. I'll read that again. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. I would like to recommend that, even though I love Twilight Paris and I love her songs, that we mark out that, that saying that we keep repeating, God is in control. Stop it. I would like to suggest that, even though God is sovereign, he can do what he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, but he doesn't force his will on any of us. Ultimately, at the end of time, every knee will bow. We know this. God is sovereign. But when we keep saying God is in control, that's in the same conjunction with saying that God's will always happens. Yes, God can do what he wants whenever he wants. But when you say God is in control in the middle of somebody who's got a loved one that's dying, and you say God is in control, then God gets blamed when they go ahead and die when you were praying otherwise. You say, God is in control, okay? So is he the one that caused that drunk driver to kill that family just the other day? 
What about that horrible, heinous murder we just heard about that happened in Tacoma? God did that? God is sovereign, but he doesn't make all that happen. He gives us free will. People make choices. Some don't follow God's will, and some do. The devil, God is in control of my life when I hand it over to him and I live for him. But when I do things that are against God's will, he's not in control of me because I decided to do it on my own. I didn't give him that control. And when these other people do these horrible, heinous things, that's not God's fault. They, did, they made bad choices. It's not God's fault. You've got to be careful saying that God is in control. Because the reality is, as the devil is tempting Jesus, and he says, I'll give you all of this, the devil knows that Jesus knows that most of those people are doing the devil's business, not God's. The majority follow what the devil wants. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, it's only a few who enter th through that narrow gate. Jesus knows. The devil's got most of these people. And the path that Jesus is supposed to go down is a path that says there will be few who follow. And the devil says to him, you bow down to me, I'll give you what I have. And if you don't really comprehend that, think about the condition of the world right now. Do you, does it really look like God is controlling everything? Or is a lot of people doing their own thing their own way? Oh, God will eventually have every knee bow and every tongue confess. But he's not forcing anybody to do that right now. And if you have to be forced to do it someday, you're in trouble. So the devil says, okay, fall down and worship me and I'll give you this. All these, most of these people follow me. Very few are going to follow you. You want to bow down to me, I'll give you what I have. And Jesus was tempted. It's more attractive. It's bigger crowds. Verse 10 in Matthew chapter 4, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That's Deuteronomy 6.16. I want to give you a, a little bit of advice. I don't have time to get into it. Maybe with the Lord's will, we'll get into it in great detail someday. But we are told in another place that even the archangel Michael refused to rebuke evil on his own and said, may the Lord rebuke you. You're not Jesus. Uh, don't, don't get caught up in these ideas when you, that you can rebuke the devil on your own. Say the Lord rebuke you if you must do that. Don't, don't go there. We'll talk about that another day, hopefully. Then the devil left him, according to verse 11. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I hope to get to peel back some of this someday about the whole idea of how God has set us up for success. If you think about it, he's given us three major supernatural things for our benefit, if you think about this regular daily living. He's given us access to the indwelling Holy Spirit, the power of God in us. He has given us angels, which we don't talk a whole lot about. We're supposed to be careful not to worship angels because people do that. So we don't talk a whole lot about angels, but they're very real. And then the third thing is, 
you, you, it's very clear in John chapter 14, Jesus says, if you need something, you know, come to me and I'll go to the Father on your behalf. So we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got angels, and we've got Jesus all working for our benefit so that we can bring glory to our Father. That's huge. I hope to, hope to talk to you more about that another time. <clears throat> but the devil left him. Jesus did what he had to do. I want to show you that house design again. And you see all the different points of entry that, um, you know, easy points of entry. And I told you about some that you just don't even think about. Some way, other ways that could, the devil could come in. And I talked to you about how distractions are a very good way to enter into the home. If you can distract somebody and make them think somebody's messing with a car, you could go in the back door or the back window, something like that. And I wanted to put that thought in your head because this kind of thing is what happens on a regular basis with us. In the past, I have been called, and some of you are called this, the baby whisperer. It's one of those weird things that happened. I don't know, I don't know, I, I know how it happened. I just don't know um, how it got to that, you know, the procession or everything. It just eventually became where I hold a baby, and uh, I, I find peace in holding a baby. Even if the baby's crying and won't stop crying, I find peace in holding a baby. That baby knows that, that it's safe. He or she is safe in my arms because I'm not going to let anything happen to that baby. That, that baby can feel that, whether they can acknowledge it or not. If I can't figure out what's wrong with them, I can still protect them. And it makes me feel good to know that I'm protecting that baby and I'm holding that baby and that I don't stress about the crying baby. I'll hold that crying baby. If you have a crying baby, crying baby comes into this church sometime, you have, don't hesitate. Hand the baby to me. I'm good with that. I love it. I, I, I absolutely love babies. Um, and it's, I, I can tell you more about it another time. But I also know that if somebody takes a baby and brings it into the worship room and sits on the front row, that I'm going to lose half the people or more. Oh, look at that little baby. Because that's going to be me. If I'm back there, I'm going to be watching that baby. The devil can use the most innocent, unsuspecting things as a tool to distract. Because if somebody comes in, in here and sits in here with a baby on the front row, I'm going to be loving it if I'm behind the baby. And the devil's going to be loving it if there's somebody who came in here that's, that one of the neighbors brought him in. Some, one of the church members here had a neighbor and they invited him in and said, come to church. And they come to church and about the time the Holy Spirit is convicting them and grabbing a hold of their mind... Then that baby giggles or starts crying or somebody starts going and that person gets distracted. When God had their mind, the devil distracts with an innocent little baby. Nobody means any harm by that. So as Christians, we have to think about things like this. We have to have defensive maneuvers like a children's program. <laughs> we got that. There are things that happen sometimes that we don't realize we can be a part of a distraction, and nobody intends to be. You come to a church service and talk about this during COVID, that's really dangerous, and you have a cough. Well, we don't even go anywhere if we have a cough these days. But let's say we're beyond COVID and you have a cough. Sit in the back of the room. 
so that you can get up and go cough out there. Because if you do it in the room, when God has somebody in the palm of his hand, he's got them thinking the way he wants them to be thinking, at the perfect time when this person's thinking, this is making sense to me. All this Christianity thing. He's making, and then somebody starts coughing in the back of the room. Whoop! You lose them. It happens. Don't be that person that does that. Something pops in your head. Oh my goodness, did I turn the coffee pot off? It's not time to bring that up in the middle of church just because it popped in your head. You think that popping in your head was a God thing or a devil distraction thing so that you would say to your spouse, hey, did you turn the coffee pot off? I don't know. You start worrying about the house burning down in the middle of church, you're definitely not thinking about whatever it is the Holy Spirit has for you. I guarantee it. Follow this out as far as you want to go. Sometimes in our most innocent actions, we become a distraction. Don't. And we need to be careful not to be a distraction or not to let distractions happen. You can have a defensive maneuver to help other people. I'm going to I want to talk about a few things as we I want to move on a little bit further. Um, back to the boxers. Uh, I'm not going to apologize because I'm going to get back to this kind of thing next week, and we're going to we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Not boxers, but we're going to talk about offense, which requires us to talk about a little bit more aggressive behavior as Christians. So, in this picture, you can see again that the one boxer did very well. He had his guard up the way he should have against the devil's schemes. You can play it out that way. And he's going to be able to counter maneuver and do well because he had his guard up. So make sure your guard is up. And then back to the picture also at the Tacoma Dome, uh, looking at the snipers there on top of that other building. They are poised and prepared, and it, nothing happened. There were no attacks. There, were no, there was nothing, but they were ready if it did, and this is the way we're supposed to be as Christians, having our defenses ready, like Jesus did. Now, let's talk about resisting the distractions, developing my defense. We're going to break it down into several points, and there's some sub-points, but you'll see. First of all, learn and know Scripture. If you want to know a Bible verse that tells us that we need to know Bible verses, it's Colossians 3.16. Pretty easy to remember the number. And I highly recommend, if you can memorize Scripture, memorize the chapter and verse. It's important to know, because when you say to somebody, well, the Bible says, they might say, where? It's a good idea if you can show them where. And it's pretty easy to remember Colossians 3.16 because it kind of reminds you of John 3.16, the one we all know. And what does it say in Colossians 3.16? Well, the part I want you to focus on is let your minds, let the Word of God dwell in you richly. That's the part I want you to focus on. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. How do you let the Word of God dwell in you if you don't know it? You have to know it for it to dwell in you richly. Does that make sense? So you need to memorize Scripture. It might be hard for you. It's hard for me. But it's a very good thing to have it in you. Jesus did this, and it's his main tool in defending against the devil. Each time he used Scripture, and he knew it. You want to be effective in your defense... 
Know the Bible to the best of your ability. Memorize as much as you can. If this really is, and I think you believe this, do you believe this is God's wisdom here contained in this book? Yeah. If this is God's wisdom contained in this book, then it behooves us to know it. There's no other knowledge greater than this. So know it. Memorize it. You can't get smarter than God. The, the smartest man that I ever met, in my opinion, was Seth Wilson. And what made me think he was so smart is oftentimes, in my young faith, he's a professor at Ozark Christian College, I couldn't tell sometimes when he was speaking Scripture or his own words. I, I didn't know. Because he, I just felt like he had the whole Bible memorized. I thought, you can't get smarter than that. I don't think he had the whole Bible memorized, but he had me convinced because he memorized so much. Second, identify strengths and weaknesses. That would be very important to, to know. And I would suggest that you adapt when you identify those strengths and weaknesses. It's not a bad idea to understand where you struggle. Let's just say at some point in time, the Lord leads to a situation where you're sitting down with other people who are wanting to know more about the Bible and you feel so inadequate. I can't teach a Bible study. I don't know enough. I, I've got to study so much more myself. I'm not ready for this. You're in that type of a situation. And as you're doing this, you, you know your weakness. I don't know enough. You know, I haven't studied enough. I'm fairly new. I'm still learning so much. I don't know that I can do this. That's okay. Recognize your weakness. It, it actually can become a strength. Think about this. Tony Newby was a professor who was teaching a class, and as he was teaching this class, there was an obnoxious student in the back of the room. I could not believe he talked again. This student, every time he talked, everybody's like, not again. He's going to challenge the professor again. Nobody wanted to hear him talk. But he challenged the professor, and Mr. Newby was the professor that was getting attacked. And he looked up in the corner of the room, and he thought about it, and he said, he's right. And he went up to the dry erase board, and he erased what he had written, and he said, mark that out of your notes. It would be better said this way. And he reworded what he wrote on the board. He was corrected by an obnoxious student who should have not talked very much, but he did. And that professor... In my estimation of that professor, when he admitted he wrote something down that was not exactly accurate, he erased it and said, correct it. And a 30-year professor being corrected, and he erased it and said, the student is right, write it down this way. My estimation of Tony Newby went way up because he admitted he did something wrong. And if you're in a Bible study, you don't know what you're doing, and somebody asks a question, and you dare say, I don't know your their estimation of you is going to go up. Because you just admitted. You didn't know. You're just like they are. You have the same question. That puts them into your world. I don't know, but let's find out. And you dig in here, and you're all studying the Bible together, and God wins. If you know your weaknesses and you acknowledge it, you, that can become a strength. Know your strengths. That's important because if you're going to have a good defense, you have to understand your weaknesses and your strengths. And then adapt accordingly. There's three things underneath this. Modify accordingly what you need. If you know where your weaknesses are, be sure you're prepared to take care of business if, they, if the enemy comes in. 
If you know that it really bothers you tremendously, if someone attacks your children or your spouse, and you might think emotionally rather than spiritually and rationally, check that. Know that. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But if you know that that could, if the devil could come in that way, he's going to come in that way. Get ready. Stay guarded. Some of us are not very good at staying guarded. Let me, let me, let me paint a painful picture for you. Some of us actually, you know those easy points of entry in that house diagram? Some of us have flung the doors and the windows wide open, and we're not only saying come in here, we're dragging things in that shouldn't be in our home. Some of us spend way too much time on social media that it's causing us problems in the way we think. Would you admit that a lot of what's on social media is not good for us? Then don't bring it into your home so much. What are you doing? The devil can get in there if you invite him in and drag him in. Some of us read books we ought not to be reading because we think it's okay to have a little bit of contamination in there. It's all right. Some of us watch movies or listen to music that should not be going into our head. We just invite him right on in. Come on, let's have a party. Stay guarded. Don't drop your guard. Third, utilize others and help. I, I, I have here the one another passages that we didn't even get to talk about. There's a bunch of them in the New Testament. A bunch of one another passages. You cannot fulfill Scripture without doing the one another passages. You cannot please the Lord without living out the one another passages. And you can't do that without having interaction with other people. And in this COVID atmosphere, it's harder to do. So pick up the phone. Send an email. Text. Do what you can. Even snail mail would work. It, you don't realize how encouraging that is to some people. But I have an asterisk there as well. And the reason why I have that there is because I want you to remember that in order to help others, you have to not be a distraction yourself. You have to sometimes help distractions, help remove distractions from others. Let's say we've finished the service today and there's people talking out in the lobby. And you can see there's a couple of people having a conversation that needs to happen. It's been a long time coming. It needs to happen. And you can see somebody going up that's about to bring up another subject. Doesn't have anything to do with it, but it's going to prevent this conversation that needs to happen from happening. You could be a healthy distraction in defense against the devil's schemes and say, hey, and stop that person before they interrupt the conversation that needs to happen. You can do this on a Sunday morning. Let's just say, as time rolls on, we start to see more new faces in here. You've got to be really careful with how you handle this. And sometimes new faces, when they come in the door, of course, they, they don't know what to expect. Is this a church that holds up snakes? Because I heard of them. I don't know. If it is, I'm going to turn around and walk out. They don't know what they're getting into when they walk in here. But they come in this building, and they're anticipating could be good, could be bad. We may regret this. We may not. And their experience when they get in here is important. And you could be one who defends against the negative experiences. You could be one that 
that helps good things to happen if you pay attention. If you, if you stand back and watch. And one of these things, here, here's one, a thing that could happen. Let's say somebody who used to come here does come here. This used to be me. If somebody came to church after they hadn't been there for a while, and they walk in the door, I'm like, oh, look who walked in the door. You know? <laughs> you know? About time you showed up. That, that's kind of my abrasive, uh, natural approach. And that's absolutely the worst thing you could do. They finally come in, and you want to make them feel bad for missing so much? How about this? How about just totally say what you actually feel? It is so good to see you. You know, what might fly out of their mouth is, yeah, well, you know, we got busy with this, and then we had that house thing, and then there was some financial stuff. And, you know, they start talking like that. It's like, it's okay, it's okay. I'm just glad you're here now. Come talk to me. Come, why don't you sit with me? Let's catch up. Whatever it is, make them feel welcome. You want them to feel welcome. You're glad to see them. Tell them. It's good to see you. It's okay. I'm just glad you're here now. That's a whole lot better than going, oh my goodness, I'm going to have a heart attack as you walked in the door. <laughs> You've got to help others. And if you know much about defense, like especially military-type defense, it takes a team if a team is coming at you. And there are people that we know, and some of them, some of them are you, where the devil is using a team of people to, to discourage you. Sometimes when bad things come, they come in big groups, all different angles. It's like, how can I even handle this? Sometimes it takes a team of us to jump in there, take some of that load off, take some of that burden off, as we're told in Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> That's why the asterisk is there, because we need to help each other. You might notice sometimes somebody's coming in here and, and they're, they're hesitating, but they want to talk to one of the church leaders or a Sunday school teacher. They, they want, but they're hesitating. And somebody else is engaged in a very whatever conversation, talking about something that really doesn't matter a whole lot. But somebody's standing there waiting to engage in conversation and they're about ready to walk out the door if they don't get to. You could be instrumental in helping something happen there. Does that make sense? Just think about what's happening in our environment. God wants to do things with, with your life. He wants to use you as a strategic player in this chess game. The devil wants to use you another way. Let God use you. And third, avoid distractions. There's two things underneath that. Stay alert, pay attention to what's going on, and second, Focus on God's will. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. If you stay focused on God's will, it's a whole lot easier to not pay attention to the things that are trying to distract you. This morning, there are some of us that have been distracted lately. And just me simply saying that makes some of us think, he's talking about me. How does he know? I don't know. I don't know at all. I have, I have not talked to any of you about what's personally going on in your life this past week, what's been happening. I haven't asked any, any of you that this morning. I don't know. But if you're one that thinks, I'm distracted. I've been distracted. It's not because I know. 
that it bothers you that I brought it up. It's because it's reality to you and you know you need to not be so distracted. It's the Holy Spirit convicting you and trying to move you in God's direction. And you will be blessed, God will be glorified if you go ahead and go in His direction. Don't be distracted. Stop letting those things become a priority when you know that Jesus needs to be. Stop letting those things distract you from where your heart and mind is supposed to be, where it really belongs and where it was at one point in time. Jesus was on the pinnacle of a climax of very spiritual things when he was baptized and God said, that's my son, I am so pleased with him. When he fasted and then was tempted, the devil tried to get him and some of us, we've been at a pinnacle in our spiritual journey and we're not there because the devil did distract us. We were tempted and we caved. It's time to refocus. It's time to learn how to get our defenses the way they're supposed to be. It's time to Stop being so distracted and letting the devil win. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for 